right, everybody. Welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 223. I'm your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, and this is the podcast where young sellers come to learn how to hone their craft, make more money, sell more, get promoted, uh, and just learn and, and create a community around the world of sales. So thanks for joining. Really excited about today's guest, Mark Koskalow from uh, the VP of Sales over at Outreach. Before we get to him, let's just do a quick minute of our sponsors, give them a shout out. So the first sponsor is gong.io. Uh, what can I say? I love gong so much that I went to work there. It is the number one invention for salespeople. It is uh, changing the game for CROs and VPs of sales that want to run their team, that want to win more deals, that want to create a coaching culture, that want to learn more about their market. Uh, if you want to learn more, if you're not familiar, head over to gong.io or DM me on LinkedIn. I am Tom Alamo and uh, on the platform and I'll introduce you to the right person if you want to learn more, either if you're a customer or a prospect. Um, the other sponsor that I want to shout out is postal.io. In a world where we're automating and trying to scale everything, uh, postal takes the opposite approach for sending things to customers and prospects and partners that they want to be highly customized. So whether it's the brewery uh, across town, the florist on your street corner, uh, it allows you to send very personalized gifts uh, to whoever that you're reaching out to. Uh, they're doing a cool thing. If you head to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review for the show, uh, we and then you DM that to me on LinkedIn, they will send you a, a free Starbucks gift card so you can get uh, caffeinated. You can get your dragon fruit iced tea uh, or whatever it is that you want to get going on there. Uh, they will allow you to do that. So it's a very generous offer. Feel, uh, definitely feel free to head over, give the uh, podcast a review, and I'll send you the Starbucks gift card. It helps me a lot too in the review world. So um, please give a shout out, Gong and Postal. Check those folks out. Um, for today's episode, Mark is one of my favorite uh, leaders in the sales and SaaS space. He's, he's given me um, a lot of uh, personal advice in the last year or two. Um, I've learned a lot from his posts, from listening to him, from following him. Um, he is a grad of, of Penn State University. He's a Nittany Lion. Um, he has a career um, in sales for a good, you know, 15 or so years before he got into tech and not your normal, um, I guess, standard tech kind of background from SDR and going all the way up from a big company like Oracle and then getting into startups. He was all over. He worked at the Nittany Notes. He worked at Great American Opportunities for about uh, eight years. He was uh, a sales director at uh, school specialty planning and student development for just short of five years and then landed at Outreach uh, as one of the first uh, hires from Manny Medina and has been there for six and a half years running sales and was their first salesperson. So um, this is an outstanding episode. I cannot recommend Mark more highly what he says about the psychology of sales and his thought about how creative the sales process should be and really thinking outside of the normal kind of scripts and black and whites that we sometimes find ourselves in. So without further ado, let's just get straight into my conversation with Mark. Let's go. All right, Mark, good morning. Welcome to the Millennial Sales Podcast. How you doing? I'm good, man. What's up? I'm excited to uh, to have you on. Uh, this is a, It's an honor. I've, I've had Manny. I've had Max. And uh, now the, the third head 
of uh, of the three-headed uh, beast from Outreach. <laughs> the three M's. We're getting together in Seattle in a couple of weeks to hang out. We, we miss each other. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I bet. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, man. I want to just get straight into it. Um, we're going to get to a lot of great things that you know, you're doing and, and have done at Outreach, but I'm always super fascinated by uh, people's uh, journeys into sales. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you told me once that your first foray was was some sort of shoe selling. Uh, that that's where you kind of learned the fundamentals. So I'd love to hear you talk about how you actually got into uh, that job and and what that led to. Yeah, so uh, I think I've always been a salesperson, but when I was 15, about to turn 16, growing up in Mississippi, my dad is a super uber successful sale or um, business guy. He, he's more on the engineering side of things. Um, he said to me, Mark. Uh, you have a few months here. You can either get a job you want or on your 16th birthday, I'll take you to a grocery store and you'll get a job at the first grocery store that'll hire you. And I had no desire at all to work at a grocery store. So I, I, I said, I, I want to work at the mall. I don't know if you know what a mall is. Uh, <laughs> you're so young, but that's a place where there's a bunch of stores and you walk around. People used to hang out in them and eat them and stuff like that. And I've heard of them. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. But uh, yeah. you know, I so I um, I applied at a bunch of sports stores in the mall, like shoe stores, sporting goods, and stuff like that. And um, the one I wanted to work at the most uh, had the worst name for a shoe store ever. Like literally, I don't think there could be a worse name for a shoe store. The Athlete's Foot was the name yeah. of the shoe store. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. Why not name it Hammer Toe or the Gout Shop or something? <laughs> um, I really wanted to work there. And so I uh, proceeded to my first experience in persistence. I called the manager every day for about a month. And I said, hey, did you get my application? I'm interested in interviewing. And I don't know what made me do that, but I did that. And eventually she said, okay, I'll interview you. And later she, um, she told me that the only reason that she interviewed me is because it, she didn't want to have me keep calling anymore. But once we interviewed, it worked out really good. And I was really lucky. Uh, her name was Michelle, and, uh, Michelle McGee. And Michelle was this awesome first sales mentor that made me sit down and watch 14 videos in the stock room and uh, about how people walked and how their shoes wore and like their gates and like all the terminology. And, and uh, really what I found out later was it, it was my introduction to consultative selling. And so I would uh, be able to like sit down with somebody at this mall shoe store, look at their shoe, watch them walk away from me and be able to give them a better shoe. And this is weird. I don't know if you have a shoe guy, Tom. Most people don't. I don't. But I probably had a couple hundred people that I was their shoe guy. They would only buy shoes for me at this store because I'd help them so much by putting them into the right shoes instead of them continually being in the wrong shoes. And that's uh, that's when I really, you know, uh, I you know that's what I was supposed to do. So uh, you know, off went the the career in sales. <laughs> and were you getting commission on those shoes, or was this just like an hourly rate that you were getting there? So they had two things. So this was a seven store shoe store chain uh, in Mississippi. And they had this bulletin board that you'd, you know, around the corner in the stock room, there it was. And it, they would pin up there every week, two metrics. One was 
dollars per hour worked. And the other one was items for sale. And I was a part-time, I worked about 20, 25 hours a week in, in high school. And there was a lot of full-time people that worked at those stores. And I, uh, I was number one guy in both things almost all of the time. Some months, somebody would creep ahead of me and they would get bonuses based on those two things. So um, I didn't get commission per se, but I, I did uh, get a lot of bonuses, a lot of free shoes. I had some yeah. nice kicks in high school. <laughs> I bet, I bet. That, that goes a long way in high school. You want me to tell you my best sales story ever? Yes. It, it happened at this shop, right? So uh, it's a little town called Greenville, Mississippi. You know, not a great place to grow up. Not a great place to live, in my opinion. Just not very progressive thinking. And uh, But anyway, uh, there is one claim to fame for Greenville, Mississippi. And Jerry Rice's wife is from Greenville, Mississippi, or his ex-wife. I don't know if they're still married. But at one point, his wife was from Greenville, Mississippi. And everybody in town knew this. And so um, one day, I'm in the mall. And I'm standing at the front of the store, which I could tell you something else I used to do that was interesting. And I see Jerry Rice walking down the hall of the mall, like one of the, the greatest receiver of all time. And I'm like, whoa, Jerry Rice. Well, everybody else saw it too. And he gets mobbed. And there's like 20 people asking for his autograph. And he sits down at one of those weird sitting places in the mall that has the bad tree and the, the yeah. bushes that are dying. And I don't know what made me do this, but I, 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 looked over there and I was like, yo, Jerry, you got a phone call, man. And he, and he popped his head up and he goes, oh, and he ran over to the store and I took him in the back. And he's like, <laughs> dude, that was clutch. Thank you so much. He goes, anything you bring back, I'll buy. And I sold $6,000 worth of shoes and warm ups <laughs> and socks to Jerry Rice <laughs> in the back stock room of our shoe store. <laughs> That's hilarious. And he, it, like the the pinnacle of of someone's life has to be Jerry Rice saying that they were clutch. Yeah, right. True. I didn't I didn't think about that part of it. That was awesome too. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and then uh, you, you'd kind of touch a little bit upon uh, something that you do at the front of the store. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is why. So you know, uh, I, I lead sales at at Outreach. Outreach is a sales engagement platform. Um, one of the things that you know we really believe as a company is like if you want an account, go get it, right? Figure out how to get in there. And and uh, I I think I got my DNA for that at this shoe store. Is you know most people in the mall stay in the store and they wait for people to come in, and then the really good employees actually help them and, and make a sale. Well, I was making great money and I loved what I did and I, I loved the fact that I had all these people that would come in and only buy their shoes for me. And so one day I had this weird idea of what if I stand out in the hallway and get people to come into the store? I wonder if we could sell more stuff. And so I started where I would stand at the front of the store or in the actual hallway with like the most popular Jordans at the time or a really technical running shoe. And I would do the whole, probably everybody hates the person that, you know, it's the face scrub person that kind of tracks you down and like, you want a free sample? You want to try this out, right? But uh, maybe I, I launched that whole uh, genre of selling. But I'd stand out in the hallway in the front of the store and I'd be like, hey, uh, I'm looking at how you're walking right now. And I think you're in the exact wrong shoe. If you come in here, I'll show you real quickly how it feels to wear a shoe that actually helps you with how you walk. 
And so I'll go out there and I, 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 so it was like lead gen outbound prospecting <laughs> in a mall. I would stand out in the mall and like, you know, five, 10, 20 people a shift I could get to come into the store and some of them would buy, some of them wouldn't. But like, that was one reason why I was really good is I, I did that. And then later um, in college, I was the manager of a, a sunglass hut and I was a multi-store manager and I got named one of the, the top managers out of all the stores in the entire country after six months. And same, same sort of idea as I would, my rep, my uh, salespeople wouldn't stand in the, the kiosk or in the store. I would make them say, uh, hey, um, I see that you have a round face. This is actually a great pair of sunglasses for round faces. Try it on instead of waiting for them to pick one to try on that would never look good on their face because the lens shape was wrong and frame shape was wrong. So I, I, they would just hand people a pair of glasses that were you know, theoretically good for their face shape. And I, I blew the numbers out at that store too, uh, teaching people how to do that. So that's kind of how I've always operated, I think, and is like, if I want something, like I'm gonna kind of go out there and, and try to be helpful to people in a proactive way to, to get what I'm, what I'm after, which was, you know, top of the sales rankings at those, at those two stores. That's like, and those are the ultimate inbound sales jobs because you just have people kind of funneling into the, hopefully into the business all day long. So you get an outbound, like that's the Jerry Rice story, the shoe story, the sunglass story. Like those are bold actions for like a 15 or 16 year old to take. Like, <laughs> like, was that, was that like your MO? Were you, were you like doing bold things like, uh, you know, at school or like you were pretty like extroverted kid or is this just like, once you got the sales hat on, you were just like all in. No, I, I was a nerd in high school, major nerd. Uh, I was a, a band geek. Uh, I nice. was an honor roll student. Uh, but um, I always felt like people kind of judged me based on the things that I happened into. So, you know, when I moved in sixth grade from Tennessee to Mississippi, I didn't know that I was supposed to sign up for football and basketball. So I missed a couple seasons doing that. And, you know, and I kind of got behind and in Tennessee, they required every sixth grader to do an instrument. So when I came, I did an instrument. So I got put in the band, right? And now I did awesome at those things. And eventually I worked my way into a, uh, a, a semi uh, ball boy slash end of the bench basketball player in high school. But I think really what it was, dude, is I, I just got, I got a chip and like, I, 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 it helped me grow a chip on my shoulder. And like, to me, it was like, oh, you know what? Like, um, you might not think I'm awesome, but look at, look at me. I'm like the best trombone player in the state of Mississippi in high school. I just got academic scholarships to every college, you know, every, you know, all these big major football schools. And then lastly, as I, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, crushing my sales number, making tons of money in high school when, you know, everybody else was just, you know, not making that much money. So it's some of the, I think it was mostly that I, I had a chip on my shoulder that people were judging me based on my activities, not, not on me. And so I just kind of kicked it into overdrive on some stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I always felt that way too because I'm we haven't met in person, but I'm I'm not the tallest guy out there. I wasn't a great student. I wasn't I was a pretty average athlete that would work hard and kind of be the grinder on, you know, the basketball team, maybe like, you know, the bench player that comes out and plays some good defense or something like that. But um, you know, I, I feel like that's that's carried with me as an adult and, and as a sales professional. And I think this segues really like, you know, perfectly to your career because following school 
you were at the Nittany Notes, which I imagine is some sort of like Penn State like uh, bookstore or something like that. And then, um, you know, a few different sales jobs before getting to, uh, to to outreach. But you don't have like you weren't at sales. You weren't at like some of these legacy, you know, big name, you know, HP or Dell or, you know, some of these huge like tech companies before you landed outreach. And it's not the normal pedigree, in my opinion, for someone that is running sales at one of the fastest growing companies probably in the country or in the world. So I'm just curious, like, does that chip on your shoulder still remain high? I'd have to imagine it might. Yeah, buddy. It's like, it's my fuel, right? Uh, I remember when I started at Outreach, I think people will call Manny and be like, what the, What are you doing, man? And Manny's our CEO. Like, why are you having this dude do it? And I was real lucky. I formed a really great relationship early on with Manny and Manny got to see me in action and he got the benefit from the things that I knew. And as you know, in the beginning, you know, I would do some sales coaching stuff with him uh, as we were getting to know each other. And then eventually, you know, a lot of people know the story. I was like, why am I not working for you? And he said, well, we can't afford you. And I said, well, I'll do hundred percent commission. And he's like, well, we can afford that. And then I sold a million bucks of outreach in about six or seven months. <laughs> and like that, you know, it was just like, all right. But, you know, then I went on like, you know, in the beginning, there weren't many of us. So I was kind of on the speaking circuit and doing all the conferences and, you know, on the stage a lot. And uh, people would always, I'm sure we're at pinging some of our investors, even Manny, what are you doing with this guy? He doesn't have the right background. He doesn't know what he's doing, but you know what? I do know what I'm doing. And you know how I know what I'm doing this? Cause I grinded for 20 years to figure it out. And you know what? I don't think of sales as like, my job sales is my hobby. Like I tell everybody, I have three things in my life, my faith, my family, and I got outreach. And you know what? I'm super lucky that like outreach is my hobby. It's my job. It's my profession. It's my passion because it aligns to what I really love, which is sales. And then, you know, I've read tons of sales books, but mostly I'm just not afraid to try stuff. And, you know, when you try stuff, eventually you get to stuff that works. And, you know, I can tell you a lot of stories about crazy lessons I learned screwing up, but then I didn't keep screwing up. I tried something different and eventually I stumbled on something worked. And then I looked at why it worked, understood the principle of it, and then applied that principle to other things. And, and now, you know, like I got, um, you know, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, but it's all based in these principles I've learned over the years that, you know, kind of make me who I am and make our sales org what it is. And so, yeah, like I still got the chip, man, but, uh, um, I think that the chip only matters if you got the stuff to back it up on the other side. Otherwise you're just a punk. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's inspirational. And like, it, it actually ties really well. I was talking with a, a mentor of mine this week. And he told me a story of, uh, there's, there's, uh, this kid that was, this is probably a made up story, but he was studying physics because his dad was a physician. And, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, essentially not doing well in his school. And he's like, well, is physics the thing that you think about in the shower? Is it the thing you think about while your coffee's brewing or when you're driving on the highway and there's no one in front of you? He's like, no, I'm thinking about whatever it is. He's like, well, that's what you need to go do, yeah. right? It's like the thing you think about when you're not thinking about anything, that's, that's, your, that's your passion. Like that's the thing that you need to go be great at. And um, I feel fortunate that I'm in that same camp of you that, you know, not outreach, but, but sales in general, it's like, that's, that's it for me. Um, and I think that's super powerful for folks. Yeah. It, it's funny. You know, I, I, I do think about sales in the shower and it's, it's just this awesome uh, palette 
for human interactions and motivations. And I think that once you kind of let go of sales, so I, I, I have this thing I call the stink of desperation. And, uh, you know, I used to have a sales job where I would make most of my money, like 80 some percent of it in like a three or four month period. And then you wouldn't do anything for three or four months. And then you spend three or four months getting ready for the three or four month money grab, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you do a lot of your selling. And so I, um, I went in one time and I had this great plan in place. And about halfway through the selling season, I had hit like all my goals. I was just crushing it. But I've sold to schools and I typically have to go after school to, to do my selling. And a lot of the schools were two and three hours away. And, you know, I, I love my wife and love my kids. And like going to a 7 p.m. PTO meeting or school board meeting and then having to sit there for two hours and then drive three hours home, that, that's a big commitment. And since I was already at my goals, I was like, you know, I can keep going to these or I can stop going to them and get my family time back. But if I quit going, what happens is, is if you just no show them or cancel, you know, it's hard to get on the agenda. They, they don't put you on the agenda against so you kind of shoot yourself in the foot. So I started going to these meetings when I didn't need to, and I had no pressure. I wasn't desperate. And I just was like, you know what? I do A, B, and C. If you don't like A, B, and C, you don't like me. All right. And if you want, if you like A, B, or C, you just pick one. And then that's what we do. Like no other stuff. And I, I just went in like super confident, no desperation. And I lost the stink of desperation. And I sold more in the second half than I did in the first half when I'd crushed it. And that's when it like became clear to me, like you just can't be desperate all the time. And if you feel desperate, if you think you're desperate, then what'll happen is, is people will smell that on you. And when you don't love what you do, there's always a lingering stink of a little bit of desperation. You know what I mean? And so you do kind of have to swerve your career to an area where you will put in the effort and the time, but it's not effort. It's just something that you do for something that you like. How do you coach reps that are either new at a company or are struggling to not have that stink of desperation? First thing is prep, right? So if, if, if we're going to go into a big meeting if you feel super confident about what you're going to say and like the strategy and, and the points you're trying to make, you know, are winners, half the stink goes away, right? Um, Matt Millen, one of my old bosses used to tell me this all the time, don't practice in front of your prospects. And I bet you 90% of reps practice what they're doing in front of their prospects instead of practicing it in front of the mirror, in front of their spouse, in front of their parents, whatever, whoever it is, right? Their friends. And I think like, Going in, like, I know what I'm going to say. I have an idea where the conversation is going to go. And I feel really confident about the content of what I'm going to say. That's, that's a big part. I think you can take care of a ton of stuff with just really, really good prep. And you know what? If you don't like it after the first prep meeting, go for a second prep meeting. If you don't like it after the second prep meeting, do a third prep meeting. You can't do too many prep meetings on a big deal. You just can't. And so, like, that's a, that's a big thing. And then the second thing is, is the, I think the biggest part, or not the biggest, but one of the bigger parts of the, the, the stank is if you are aware of it, you stank less. Most people just aren't aware that they're stinking. And so, you know what I mean? Like just being aware that you have BO means you put on deodorant so you don't have BO. <laughs> Same thing for this. Like it's a concept that once you talk to people about it, 
they realize that they do that and they'll relax a little bit more into it. And then I say the last thing though, is reps have an expectation of what they want to happen in a sales meeting rather than being okay with whatever is going to happen. Like I go into a, I go into a conversation with an executive at a fortune 500 company. I don't really care where the conversations goes. There's nothing that they're going to say that's going to make me freak out or think I'm going to lose the deal. There's no objection they're going to come up with that I'm going to feel like an idiot on. Not because I have the answer, but just because I'm okay with saying, you know what, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Like, why is that important to you? Why are you asking me that? And I'm going to kind of figure things out as I go because I think I'm a good conversationalist, right? So I think that that's a big part of it. So those three things, like, you know, prep, know that you're going to have a stink. And lastly, like, just be cool with having a cool conversation and a fun conversation with somebody instead of like, I got to get them to this thing. I have to book the demo. I have to get the security introduction. Like, just be cool, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you, you know kind of what the goal you have in mind, but you're not attached to it. Right? right. You know that you, you got you to gotta kind of be like dancing in the conversation if, if, and see where it goes, right? You can't like, the, the call goes, you know, in this whole other direction. You're like, well, I told myself I was going to get this, you know, next step of, of this. And so I'm going to just like force it, even though it's totally not the right thing to do. Like you got to be able to be flexible. I love that. Like you got to have a goal. I'm not saying don't have a goal, but your attachment to it will make you stink. So that, that's a much better way to put it. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm curious. I saw uh, on your LinkedIn that you mentioned, you, you said something around like, you know, uh, 12 salespeople uh, that you manage in nine different states helping to cement your sales philosophy. What, what do you mean by like, is there a certain part of your philosophy or do you have like a written out like sentence on, on how you view sales? I'm curious what you meant by that. Yeah, so um, my first sales uh, leadership or management position was managing a, these 12 people. And it would fluctuate between 12, 14, 25, back down to 12, up, up and down the Eastern seaboard. And what I mean was, is you doing your own thing is one thing. You getting people to trust you whose livelihood and how they provide for their families, putting that on the line to do your thing is different, right? Like if I go to you, Tom, and I'm like, hey, Tom, in this next meeting, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. You know, that's me asking you to trust me enough to put that deal on the line. And that deal is how you feed your family, right? And so what I mean by that is, is I had a bunch of stuff that I knew worked and I felt good about and I was confident in but getting someone else to feel confident and to do those same things, that's what locked it in. And, you know, I don't, what I mean, sales philosophy, I don't have like a document written out, but I do have core things that I really, really believe in that I make sure that my sales or is always going to have and my, and my reps have, and, you know, they have different degrees of it and maybe some of it were not as good as others, but I think that that's getting those 12 people to do the crazy stuff that I did cause them to perform at a level that they'd never performed at before. And I, that's when I started to really say, you know what, I, I think I got this thing figured out. I think I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, anyone that has followed you on LinkedIn for the past you know, few weeks or a few months have, has noticed the, the trend uh, that you're putting out some fire content, first of all. Uh, and it's, you know, most of them are starting with executives hate X, you know, <laughs> salespeople do it anyway. Here's the better way to do it. I, I got to know, like, 
did you just have like a day where you just like wrote down a hundred things that people do to you in sales processes that you hate and maybe that your reps do that kind of tick you off or, or how did you get that idea? Oh, uh, um, so um, it started with, uh, I got a, a rep that ghost wrote an email for me that they wanted me to send to a, uh, to a prospect. Right. Yeah. And I got it and it, it was a fine email. But something in me, I was like, you know, I'm going to lethally edit this thing. And I literally took the word count down like 60% and it was more powerful. It was whatever it was, you know, didn't lose any of the content. And, and I added just a little bit of like, you know, pizzazz to it, a little creativity to it. And I sent it back to the rep, but I also sent like, here's like five or six things that you just to lethally edit stuff, like just do this. And then I was, you know, the way that I work with my LinkedIn content is, is as I go throughout my day and I have a question, as I have an experience, as I coach somebody with something, if I leave a really interesting comment, I capture those little bits of, you know, this is probably interesting in an Evernote. And then I just wake up in the morning and it takes me 20 minutes and I go through and I'm like, all right, which of these resonates most with me today? This one. And then I spend 20 minutes creating the post, which is halfway written half the time anyways. I'm just capturing my thoughts and things that are interesting to me. And so when I did that, I was like, you know what? I hate long emails. I hate them. And I started paying attention for the next few days. Every email I got was like, I'm, what, I'm watching myself what I do. I'm skipping around. I'm skimming. I'm like, if there's a block of text, I'm just skipping it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I hate these. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should do an executive hate long emails with like these five steps that I sent over to this rep internally. And I did that and, you know, it kind of, that one blew up. And then, uh, you know, honestly, right now I've done that for probably two or three weeks. And, you know, I average 50 to 100,000 views on every one of those, which you know, it sound, I think that's pretty good. I don't know if it is or not, but uh, people seem to like them. And mostly stuff, I'm taking internal trainings that we do at Outreach and putting it on there and framing it that way. A lot of it though is just, you're right, like I'm coaching a rep and I'm like, oh, this is good. I, I hate this. Let me do something about it. Or yeah. my CRO, Anna, will be like, Mark, I don't like it when you do this. And I'll be like, oh, maybe I should figure out how not to do that. And so it's just, the, I capture those things in real time. And then when I sit down for my morning routine, I, I pull from them, which makes it really easy. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the word pizzazz when you were uh, editing that email and like just from this conversation, like you do have kind of like that, that flair and I haven't worked for you, but I imagine like, you know, uh, I, I have been in the outreach office before and I, I saw you kind of joking around with people and, you know, having enthusiasm and that's how people describe you on some of your LinkedIn recommendations. So I'm curious, like, it's gotta be a con, maybe it's partly that's who you are, but like, it's a lot different than a lot of sales leaders that can be kind of like just like sticks in the mud and just like almost like militarian, uh, if that's a word. So uh, to walk me through why you do that. Yeah. So a couple of things is uh, one is uh, I think I am naturally like a positive person. I'm also doing something that I'm passionate and I love. And so yeah. I put those two things together. Like I was always a guy at, when I would play in adult basketball leagues, you know, later in my career when I was actually a semi-decent basketball player. I will be the guy that when we were down 10, you know, with like eight minutes left in the half, I'd be like the dude, the dude that would like slap the floor 
and look at my teammates <laughs> and be like, what are y'all doing? I'm about to play some B. Y'all about to play some B with me? Or are y'all going to sit back there and do it? Like, let's do that. And then, you know, we get three or four steals in a row. We'd be right back in the game. Like that's, that's kind of like always been my thing. Like I love doing that. Right. So it partially is personality. Partially it's I'm doing something I love, but the pizzazz part, what I'm talking about is th this book right here. I still have it. It's the little mm -hmm. red book of selling by Jeffrey Gittimer. This book, when I, this is like one of the first sales books I read. And what it showed me is that sales is a creative exercise. Mm. And like the more creative and cool I can get and like the more crazy stuff I can do, like, you know, um, I did a post recently on case studies. I, you know, I hate case studies. I ain't going to read any case study you send me. Like, don't even send it to me. It's ridiculous. And then people ask for me for case studies on a sales call. And literally, I would say to people, you're not going to read this case study. Why are you asking me for it? <laughs> and you know, so, but but what I started doing is like I find like a really interesting article online. I'm like, that person I talked to last week would love this. So I put it in my little iPad. I'd highlight the key things. I'd write in the margins what I thought that they think was good and some salesy stuff in there of like you know why outreach helps them. And I'd send it to them, and people would be like, dude, this is dope. Like I love this. And so, but that was like one of the things that this book taught me is like. If you're just going to go in and like talk about stuff and be like every other sales guy, you're going to get every other sales guy or gal's results. And for me, like I'm willing to lose a deal being fun and creative. And I think that that wins me deals. Mm -hmm. and so and that's how I want my reps to be. I, I talk about this a lot with my reps. Let your passion overcome your professionalism. You're so busy being professional and buttoned up that nobody ever gets to see your passion and creativity. And that's what people want to see, I think, right now. Mm. I think that's, I think that's super true, especially maybe this doesn't have anything to do with it, but I imagine like life's a lot more boring right now. Like people are working from home, you know, I'm stuck in like the same room for however many hours a day. And like, you know, I see my fiance around the apartment, that's it. You know, like you're not doing all the stuff you used to. So I, I feel like sometimes business and sales can be like, feel robotic almost. It can just feel like you're on the assembly line, you're doing this and then this and then this and the people that show some some creativity and you know spark some joy throughout the process like really stand out both internally and externally yeah i used to when we were in the office we um i used to have this surfboard and it was a marketing thing we did for one of our um conferences and one of my buddies uh, sponsored the conference and so he got they had a surfboard up in the hallway or whatever it was and they thought it'd be hilarious after the conference to mail it to me and so, you know, what did I do? Did I have like a ha-ha funny and throw it away? No, I took the surfboard and I put it in front of my standing desk at work. And I literally stood on a surfboard for two years at work. And, and I got to where I could actually scoot around and look like I was sort of surfing. But you know what? Like that just is like a little weird thing that people are like, oh, I think I could probably go talk to Mark. Like maybe Mark's interesting and fun, you know? And, and you know, I got crazy pictures of my kids you know, all my desk and things like that. And so I think that people are looking for that kind of little blip right now. And, you know, I'm, I get asked to do a lot of webinars and stuff. And the first thing I say is I'll do your webinar, but we have to prioritize entertainment over education. Like I'm going to say something that I might not believe in, but it's going to make people love or hate me. And I'm going to defend it to the death. And like, I want to get into a semi-argument about it. And like, like, let's do something interesting. But if you just want me to like read some slides on a deck or be super boring or say, 
yeah, I agree with what Tom just said and then say the same crap just over again. I'm just not going to, that's not me. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and just like a quick sidebar, you mentioned basketball. I think a former conversation, I think you mentioned your, your daughter or daughters play basketball. Have you seen the last chance you, I haven't watched it yet. No, but I heard it still, man, my sister told me about it and, uh, I got into it a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing. Like all the stuff you're talking about, this guy is a, you know, a coach for a um, junior college in East LA. These guys that are super talented, but have had some you know trouble in the past with grades or something else. And um, there's one guy actually that was at Penn state before, and he's just so charismatic, super inspiring, uh, pretty entertaining. I think you'd love it just as a quick sidebar there. Yeah, my uh, my man Chris Albro just told me about that a couple of days ago, and he's like, "I'm dude, I'm obsessed with Last Chance You." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll check it. I need to check it out. I need to add it to my list." Yeah, you got to check it. You got to check it. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I saw you posted something today, and it was kind of like this footnote that a lot of people will probably skip over. But you mentioned the number one thing that all salespeople need to do, or that separate great salespeople, is that they have to care. Right. Yeah. They have to, you know, as John Barris would say, like, you have to give a shit, you know, um, <laughs> like I, it seems so simple. It seems so obvious, but um, you can really tell, I feel like when you talk to someone, whether they actually are, are in it and they're going to go that extra step and they're going to do some of those creative things you mentioned, or if they're just doing it because, oh, this is the sales process and this is why I'm here. And, you know, I'm getting paid to kind of like do this stuff. And, and, um, you know, I, I feel personally, like you can really tell within, you know, minutes of meeting someone where they are on the care spectrum. Yeah. I, listen, I don't get it. Why you would do something you don't care about. And if you care about something, why don't you show it a little bit? And I, like, so that, that's kind of like the continuum for me. I look for that when I interview people is like, can I tell that you care about selling and sales? You know, uh, I think outreach is on the bleeding edge of what sales is and changing sales. And um, if you're not going to like get hyped up watching a new product launch with me internally, then like, I don't want to like be hanging out with you. You know what I mean? Like we just did some uh, demos with uh, some, you know, interesting people in the last few days and literally in one of the demos I had to stop uh, one of my managers that was doing the demo I was like Cassie stop for a second like can you just send me the contract because like I want to buy this right now it's so awesome and you know and like she's demoing our product of course I want to buy it I have, but like I literally feel that and because I care and I'm passionate and I'm going to make sure other people understand that too because I think that that stuff is like viral you know what I mean like it's good energy caring and all that like the more you show it the more people around you do it and the people that aren't you know they don't like it they feel uncomfortable and they they can be on their way to go do something that they're that they care about and so listen i i think i don't get why people don't care like wake up in the morning you got a job you didn't get you know you got all of these great things in your life like care a little bit about what you're doing and it, i think it makes a big difference yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, last thing, and then we'll, we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll tee up kind of how folks can connect with you. You mentioned the Jeffrey Gittimer book, uh, which I would also highly recommend. Any other books, podcasts, uh, ways that you learn, things that you gift to people, things you've been going back to, anything that's kind of blown your mind recently in, in any of those realms? Yeah, so I, uh, 
I, uh, I just read, um, we do this author's lounge and I, I've read a couple books that were really, really good, um, but they're not sales books. So one of the thing I, I think I, it makes me a little weird again, because I'm so into sales is I read a non-sales book and all I do is take notes on how can I apply it in this sales cycle. Yeah. So <laughs> Annie Duke, uh, wrote a book, uh, shoot, um, thinking in bets, thinking in bets. Yes. Thank yeah. you. That I can only read like six or seven pages at a time because she's blowing my mind about all of these things around how betting is a construct to be more confident about decision making, which I didn't think the book was about. And I'm I hate poker. I'm not a poker player. I haven't I lost a bunch of money in college betting on football and literally haven't bet a red <laughs> penny since then. I learned my lesson. And so, but her book is awesome. And when you think about it in the sales context, it's crazy. I'm also reading Think Fast, Think Slow. It, it is, it's a really kind of academic, tough read, but holy cow, it's amazing. You want me, you want me to show you something real quick about this book? Don't blame Hit me with it. All right, so the premise of the book is there's a system one and system two brain. System one is reactionary it recalls information really quickly. Its job is to kind of have an initial impression and to throw out a hypothesis on how to deal with that impression. System two is your computational, statistic, super smart brain, right? But it's also super lazy. So it always kicks stuff to, to system one brain. All right, so let me ask you a question. I want you to experience this with me. And oh boy. People are listening. They'll experience system one, system two with this example. So Come. a baseball and a baseball bat costs $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Uh, five cents. <laughs> Dude, the first thing I thought of was a dot was it was it was gonna be, I forget what happened, but I think the first thing I thought was 10 cents. But then I knew it was going to be some sort of trick question, so I had to take a few. I, I primed you. You're literally Tom. I've done with a hundred people. You're the first person ever to get it right. Like congratulations. Like so, let me tell you what just happened. Your system. This is what typically happens, and I'll tell you what happened here. So what what happened in the beginning for you was your your system one brain was oh I think I got this. This seems like a pretty easy problem. It passed it too because it was a computational request. Your system. Uh, passed it to your system two brain and your system two brain is like eh the numbers are small you got it take it so most people will just say 10 cents which is yeah. not the answer what you actually did is you you um withstood the lazy onslaught of your system two brain you made it engage and calculate the right answer but most 99 percent of people will not do that they will they, they don't so think about that in, in, a, in a discovery call you're asking someone for information and their lazy brain is always kicking it back to like the recency bias, the availability bias, all of these biases that your front system one brain can easily and like in this hyperactive way, like throw out answers that you end up saying. And so like that, that's like an example of like, how can I do better discovery knowing that the computational brain that I need to engage doesn't want to engage? How do I get it to engage? That's like, so that book is, that's one of the things mm. I'm taking away from that book, but that's like, you read a book about something and then I always think, how can I make this 
book up, make me a better salesperson. And that's, that's just an example, but super cool. But congrats to you. First person. <laughs> I'll send I you my Venmo. Really, really smart people that question too. Like some of the smartest people I know. I'll, I'll, I'll send you my Venmo for any sort of like repayment. Um, there you go. But <laughs> so maybe just to riff on that for a second, then like I'm thinking about that in a discovery context. And if you, the way that I'm interpreting what you're saying is like, if I'm asking you the same questions, right? Like, cause I do sell to sales leaders. So like, I don't sell to you, but like I could. Um, and so like, we get on a call and I'm asking you the same old questions, right? And you just got kind of got that system one, just like, yeah, you know, here's my challenges. Here's what keeps me up at night, you know, so on and so forth. Is the way to kind of get to that system too, is, is it to ask better questions? Is it to do some sort of pattern interrupt where you're, you're trying to get to a deeper level with them of, of like a deeper level of pain? Like how, how did you interpret that? I'm curious. Yeah, so there's, there's multiple techniques and you definitely did a couple. So system one brain has to say, I give up for system two brain to say, okay, I'm actually going to take over or system two brain has to really care, yeah. right? So if it cares, it'll actually engage and it'll push system one brain off, right? And so you can, you know, if you're being really engaging and talking about something, probably in this system two territory, Pattern interrupt is an unbelievable way because system one gets scrambled by pattern interrupt and it doesn't, it can't recognize the pattern. So it doesn't want know what to do. So it kicks it back to system two. Uh, good questions can do it, but I think like to me, I haven't tried this yet. I'm thinking about it though, is I want to tell people, you know what? I'm going to ask you a couple questions and you're going to have an immediate response that's from a part of your brain that is designed to give shallow answers. What can I, I, I'd love for you to just take a second. And when I tell you the question, like put it into that computational super smart of your brain and like, give me a super smart answer. And just like, be like completely transparent about it. I believe the more honest you are, the more sales you get. And like, let's just get it out on the table. I'm not going to try to manipulate you with a technique. Let me tell you how your brain works. You're going to give me bad answers, which is going to make me sell to you bad and not present the solution that you need. Tell me really great answers and I will be the awesome salesperson you ever worked with and the solution will knock it out of the park for you. So like, let's, let's do this together, right? And so I, I haven't done that yet. I do stuff like that quite a lot, but like that one is a little bit intimate to tell, for me to tell people, you're going to give me stupid answers unless you think about it. Yeah, you've really got to, you got to uh, have some sort of probably credibility or, or trust. It, it would be, it might, it might come off poorly if, if uh, an AE goes to the CRO of this really successful company, hasn't developed any sort of trust. And you say like, hey, you're going to give me some stupid answers. You know, you probably have to be a little tactful, but I love that. I love just the new strategy. I, yeah, I, totally. I don't know. I, listen, but like the case study example is a good one. Hey, how much, you get this all the time, Tom. Tom, hey, just send me a case study, right? Hey, listen, uh, do you have any case studies? Like I Every always company. back that. I'm a, Listen, you're not going to read the case study. We both know it. You're not going to read it. When's the last time you read a, a five-page case study? Uh, never. Like, so listen, ask me what you want to get out of the case study, and I'll go get that for you. But don't ask me for a case study because it's just kind of like a throw-off thing that you, just, that you just do. Tell me what you want, and I'll go get that for you. And so like, I do that in sales calls all the time because you know, I think it just gets people to the point which they which they end up valuing i think yeah absolutely uh 
Mark, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, I loved hearing your story. I love geeking out here at the end. Yeah. Uh, I know we're running short on time. Uh, I want to give you a chance, one, to talk about, I know that uh, Outreach has uh, the Unleash event coming up in a few weeks here in May. And then, you know, for anyone that wants to connect with you, learn more about Outreach, learn more about you, uh, or, you know, have a shoe question uh, that, you know, they can go to you for. <laughs> yeah, man. So listen, um, we have Unleash coming up. It's uh, I've heard it called the best sales conference people have ever been to that, that kind of <laughs> energy maybe that you're feeling from me from this podcast is rampant 10x at that because i we have all of our outreaches there are all kind of have the same profile as me and we really get people amped up but we're gonna do it online but uh you know listen i think we've done it really well small bites not long you don't have to commit to a long period of time recordings that you can listen to on your own time uh there's some really awesome stuff the thing i'm most excited about is I love my street cred. I love when I get on a call with my reps and like, dude, you crush that call. And so I got KD, Kevin Dorsey mm. and Stephanie Jenkins are two of the best. Like I know my stuff, street cred VPs I've ever met. And we're actually going to go on replays, which is a, a coaching service that you can do. And they're going to give us objections and we're going to overcome them like we're reps. And I'm telling you, dude, I'm pumped to like, show up like, <laughs> hey, some of us still got it. If you got a boss that can't do this themselves and wouldn't do it themselves, maybe you need to go find another job. Like there's those of us that still know what we're doing. And so super pumped about that. Uh, and that'll happen on May 11th. But uh, Unleash has a bunch of cool stuff like that for 11th through 13th. Awesome. Um, and then if, if folks have questions for you or, or anything like that, just like LinkedIn's the best spot or outreach yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, site. Yeah, I'm, pr I'm pretty active and responsive on, on LinkedIn. I, I have to reserve it to early morning, later in the evening. And I usually do a little bit during lunch because uh, right now it's, it's just, it's a, there's so much go going on there. I, I'd have a tough time. It'd be distracting if I did it while I was working, but I, I'll eventually get back to you for sure. Awesome. Mark, I appreciate the time, man. This was a blast. Yeah, man. Great talking. All right, everybody. Thanks for checking out that podcast while you're walking the dog, while you're cooking up your stir fry, while you're at the gym, whatever you're doing, um, two things. Number one, uh, please head over to uh, Apple and give this show a five-star review. Uh, send that to me on LinkedIn and I'll give you a, a free Starbucks gift card. Would really appreciate it. That's what helps this show to grow. It should only take you a minute. And second, one more shout out to our sponsors, Gong and Postal. Please give those folks a shout out, hit them up on LinkedIn, check out their websites. Uh, they can do wonders for your business. That's all I got for you today. Peace.